Hello everyone and welcome to today's episode of Vader's Basement. I am Jared. And I'm Liam. And today we are talking to you guys about the mysteries of the Force. Um, we're going to cover four mysteries in particular, of which there, there are many. So we're, we're going to cover just four. And this will contain spoilers for Rebels and the Clone Wars. Um, we'll preface before each one of them which topic it's which series it's coming from yeah just so that you can decide whether or not you want that spoiler or not yep. um there will be spoilers for arcs and potentially i mean like almost entire series uh so just keep that in mind going forward yeah and what way i want to start off today is with a little bit of star wars news a segment i want to call for the republic for all of you old battlefront fans um we have two things. One, Star Wars Skeleton Crew is more expensive than The Mandalorian. They have spent $136 million on the first season. So for those who don't remember or haven't listened to our podcast covering this, first of all, shame on you. Go back and listen to it. <laughs> what, what are you doing? Not listening to every single piece of commentary we have. How dare you? But um, Skeleton Crew is going to be based on... The uh, group of kids on a planet, and they're basically trying... It's like a... It's the coming-of-age story that's yeah kind of connected, but not fully connected to, like, the greater Star Wars universe. So, um... It takes place after the Battle of Endor. Right. Yep. And before Episode Seven. So, kind of in that period. Too. Right. Exactly. So, again, you can go back and listen to our, uh, our episode on some of the content upcoming, but um, really interesting that they're going to spend more money than... The Mandalorian spent, and because I, I mean, the Mandalorian spent a lot of money. I know they had, a lot of money. Inflation, man. It's <laughs> killer. So. It's killer. I guess so, but it's exciting. It's exciting to you know. Hopefully, we'll get some really nice graphics, and um, looking forward to it. That's the hope. And then the other piece of news is again, Cassie Andor. The Andor show is coming August thirty first, and we're getting a double premiere. So just like with so, Kenobi, just like with Kenobi, um, two episodes. This is interesting because they didn't shift the date. It makes me wonder if they were going to do a double premiere anyway for Kenobi, even though they shifted the date or not. Well, but it's interesting because they also did an hour or hour and a half long episode for the introduction of Bad Batch season one. Right. So like, yes. yeah. it, it technically wasn't two episodes, but it basically was. It was a super episode. Yeah. yeah. And, and that's very interesting. We like to get more content. It, you know, we're going to try to get a podcast episode to you guys right after... Uh, right after the premiere on that Friday. So it'll be coming Wednesday. We're going to try to get an Andor podcast to you, giving our thoughts on that Friday. Just means we have more work, but you guys get more content. So that <laughs> exactly. it works out. Perfect. Um, so then looping into today's topic of the mysteries of the Force, we have four main ones we're going to cover. And we're going to cover, first we're going to cover the Wills, then we're going to cover Mortis, which we've talked about before a little bit. We're going to cover the Bendu, which is a fun topic, and then the world between worlds. So with no more further ado, Liam's going to kick us off with the Wills. So to start off, the Wills are kind of broken down into a couple different categories. So this has been something that was not defined for a long time. So I'll start off with the Journal of the Wills. The Journal of the Wills was this concept originally introduced by George that was tied to something that others had previously done. In Lord of the Rings with J.R.R. Tolkien, there was an outside narration perspective. 
for Dune with Frank Herbert. There was also some writing that was an outside perspective. So the original concept for the Journal of the Wills for George Lucas was to have this journal that was basically narrating the events, the stories of the Star Wars universe. We have that, and then we also have the beings, the wills. And so the beings, the wills, are a little bit of a different concept. So I'm going to dive into each of these a little bit. The Journal of the Wills in canon is a record of events in the galaxy. It's basically the culmination of what's happened. Um, everything from the Old Republic to the prequels, original trilogy, so on. That is all recorded in what is called the Journal of the Wills. This journal is read to us in the book A Certain Point of View by two self-described wills. They talk about themselves as wills and compare themselves to other, you know, quote-unquote wills. So we have this concept introduced here for the first time in a long time about the wills themselves where they are wills talking about the journal of the wills. Still doesn't explain a whole lot, but bear with me. So these two guys are debating the opening text crawl to A New Hope. They go through and they start, the one guy starts kind of giving the story line by line. He's basically going through and presenting the story in verbal form. And the other guy is, you know, correcting, debating at, at each line. Well, don't say that word. I think he... You know, the one guy in the text curl mentions Leia as a custodian, and he says, well, don't say that. She's going to think we're, or they're going to think we're talking about the janitors of the galaxy. And they're literally, like, going through the text crawl and talking about uh, the events that are taking place in episode four. They even go so far as to talk about, like, it, it, it's really, it's comedic, because what they end up talking about is, hey, you know, what if we did this with the episodes where we say it's going to be episode vi or vii instead of numbers like they're literally breaking the fourth wall and talking about star wars from that outside perspective so this concept of the wills is that they are beings who are outside of what the star wars universe is portraying the actual beings in the star wars universe aren't really going to connect with them they're just describing the story that we see in star wars media form the Journal of the Will can also be tied to the Church of the Force. At the beginning of the Force Awakens novelization, we actually get a verse from the Journal of the Wills read to us by a member of the Church of the Force. For context, the Church of the Force is an organization that Lor Santeca was actually involved with. And Lor Santeca, for those of you who don't know, was very involved with trying to find Luke, right? He's the guy at the beginning of The Force Awakens who Poe meets with and finds the piece of the map that uh, eventually leads the Resistance to finding Luke. So Lor Santeca, very involved with the Church of the Force, and uh, the verse at the very beginning of the novelization that's read goes as follows. The truth in our soul is that nothing is true. The question of life is what then do we do? The burden is ours to penance we hew. The force binds us all from a certain point of view. So I'm not going to go into trying to find meaning from that verse, but it is an example of part of what the Journal of the Wills contains. And we see further along it contains Star Wars stories. So it's a general book of wisdom and Star Wars stories, recorded events of the galaxy. 
like I said earlier, the other experience we get with the Wills is the Wills' as people. So I mentioned that the two guys call themselves the Wills. And th other than that, we haven't explored the record-keeping narration of the Wills much in Star Wars content. That's kind of one of the only pieces of media we get that in. The Wills as beings within the Star Wars universe were first introduced as a concept by George Lucas in the like uh, commentary we see when he was thinking of concepts for the movies. So originally, the Wills were supposed to be microorganisms that feed off of the Force. There's a symbiotic relationship between the microorganisms and the midichlorians that make up you know, the Force sensitivity of beings. So this was something that he played around with, but eventually just scrapped for the concept of creating the Force as a living versus a cosmic... Um, idea in and of itself it's not necessarily a being but it does have a will right different from what the wills are the wills that we're talking about today mainly are w-h-i-l-l-s those are the wills the will of the force is you know the regular w-i-l-l so the wills with an h um originally thought of as the microorganisms then became the idea of the will of the force from there it gets a little fuzzy. In Clone Wars Season 6, later in the season, in fact, I think it's the finale arc, we get the concept of the Wills as beings within the Star Wars universe again. Though they're called the Priestesses, the Wills do make their appearance in that form. Let me explain. So, in Star Wars media before Disney bought Lucasfilm, the Shaman of the Wills was the one who taught Qui-Gon how to turn himself into a Force ghost. That was the original explanation for why Qui-Gon could do it, and no other Jedi before him was able to. He was able to turn himself into a Force ghost because he had spent time in his adventures early on with the Shaman of the Wills. Now, though that remains the going concept, the priestesses, who are featured in Season 6 of The Clone Wars talk about and Qui-Gon talks about right there there's this conversation of him going and learning from them they're the ones who taught him he talks to Yoda Yoda goes and learns from the priestesses so even though they're not necessarily called the wills within that arc that's essentially what they are it's the same idea right so the shaman of the wills becomes the priestesses it's the same idea so this is where we are today, where the Journal of the Wills still exists in concept, although it's not discussed in Star Wars more than in a certain point of view. That's where the recorded events kind of make their mark, and we understand it as a telling of the Star Wars universe. The Wills as beings are connected a little bit more in that they have become the priestesses that teach Qui-Gon how to become a Force ghost, and then Qui-Gon helps Yoda achieve that, who helps Obi-Wan achieve that, who helps, you know, from there on. So the Wills, still one of the mysteries that we don't have all the answers to, but I hope that I helped you understand a little bit more the concept of what these are supposed to be. It's fitting that I touch on the Force Ghosts because Jared is now going to talk about the Mortis Arc. Yeah, so thank you, Liam. That's super interesting. That's a lot, even stuff like I didn't know. 
about it. He dove pretty deep into the into the wills there. So um, this arc takes place in the it's a three episode arc in the third season, episode fifteen, sixteen, and seventeen. Um, if you do not want that spoiled, please you know skip ahead. You have been warned. So <clears throat> Mortis is really really interesting, uh, and we kind of talked about this in our favorite Clone Wars episodes. Um, yep, podcast which should have come out last week, so you should go and listen to that. But Mortis is particularly fascinating because it takes place on this kind of plane. This it's on the razor's edge, if you will, between the two types of the Force. So Liam kind of touched on this. There's the living force and there's the cosmic force. So to kind of understand Mortis, you really need to know the difference between these two things. The living force is everything that's living. Ha, huh, surprise. Um, <laughs> what? <laughs> surprise. So never saw it all of life, right? The force is all around us. It's in everything. It binds us together. That is the living force. It's, it's around us. It's in everything. It binds us together. But the cosmic force is kind of when things die, they go into the cosmic force, which is this giant amalgus force energy it's everything together and that's where you kind of feel the will of the force we also touched on this about force ghosts how to become a force ghost it is at least in legends it was painful to separate yourself from the cosmic force to become a force ghost and be a part of the living force again if you will and to be an image and a single point in time because the cosmic force is outside of time it's outside of space it's outside of everything right so you're you've moved out of the known universe, right? You're, you're in a completely separate thing and you can see all of time happening at once. And so putting yourself in one, you know, finite body is painful because you're separated from that infinitude that you were previously a part of. But that's where people kind of get lost, right? The force ghosts, you can't, not everyone can be a force ghost because they haven't figured out how to separate themselves from the cosmic force again. And it takes effort, right? Because it's, it is easy and you want to be part of the cosmic force. So you'd have to, you know, it takes great effort to overcome that. So Mortis takes place uh, or Mortis is in yes, the cosmic force and also the living force. Great question. I know I gave you a great answer. It's not in either or it's in both. That's a great question, right? (laughs) Uh, Yes. (laughs) Great answer for you. So there is some debate about where this necessarily takes place because when we see Mortis. Obi-Wan, Ahsoka, and Anakin are drawn to a physical location for which there is a distress beacon for a Jedi, an old Jedi distress code that is 2,000 years old. Interesting. And they show up there, and they're not there. They're there, but they're not there, because Captain Rex is also at the location, and he's there, but he doesn't see them, and they don't see him. So they're not in space-time, and we see them disappear over the arc. They go into Mortis. They, they go into this giant floating diamond box thing that opens up and sucks them in the middle. Bright light. And they wake up on this planet. And they're there for a few days. And they regain consciousness at the end. And it's only been a few minutes. So time doesn't... It's, it's, very, it's not passing. It's very like reminiscent of Narnia. <clears throat> yes, it, it is. Right. It is. Except with a, a really weird twist. So, uh, <laughs> there's no lion. So inside of Mortis, there are three distinct beings. The father, the son, and the Holy Ghost. No, the father, the son, <laughs> and the daughter. And, and the daughter is the embodiment of the light. And the son is the embodiment of the dark. 
and the father himself appears to be perfectly balanced and he controls them and keeps them in line one from conquering the other and in the mortis arc we see that his power is failing he's dying they've summoned anakin ahsoka and obi-wan there because they're trying to get to anakin because he's the chosen one which is proven through this arc because he is able to command and control both the dark and the light as only the chosen one would now this is where things get really interesting about it who is the father we right who is the father who is the daughter who is who is the son who are these people why are they there this will partly get explained in the next thing i explain with the world between worlds but for now we don't know <laughs> <laughs> you're answering so many of our questions we don't know and and I don't know if it's reassuring to you to know that if you watched it and you don't know, no one really knows the answer. So there you go. There are two leading possible theories for who the father is. One theory is that he is a will of the force. It is in W-H-I-L-L. Sent there and in Mortis to control the son and the daughter. There is also this idea that they are actually his children, right? Or they may not be. They may have been manifestations of the force that formed due to his presence there as a will, being of great power. But they may have also been his creation. And thus, he's bur his burden now as the will is to stay there and keep his creation from going out and wreaking havoc on the world, right? If you think about the wills as these beings that are watching and observing the whole universe and monitoring the force, then you kind of get you know, these not really omnipotent beings, but that they're always, they are always there. And thinking back to what Liam said about the wills, if you think about them as these beings that are constantly monitoring the universe, you wouldn't necessarily think of them as being able to die because they become part of the living for they're able to, they're able to manifest themselves from the cosmic force. That's how they're able to teach Qui-Gon this. They have the gift as they call it, but the father dies. The father is physical. So if he's a will, then he's a will trapped in this weird time prison, but he's dying. Why is he dying? Um, if we think about what Yoda says when he's dying, Luke tells him, you can't die. And Yoda says, I am powerful with the force, but not that powerful. Meaning that is there a power level where you don't die? Like in the dark side, there is, right? You can manipulate life. So if we think about the father being perfectly balanced, why was he dying? Why was he dying? Why was he losing control? This comes to the idea that he created the son and the daughter and put part of his energy in each of them. And thus, that's why he's, he's now weaker and dying. And he, he is killed in this arc. Spoiler. Uh, but, but that is just one theory. The second theory is that the father is the chosen one. And that the prophecy is misread. So we know of Anakin as the chosen one. There's debate that Luke is the chosen one. But on the gunship in episode three, when Obi-Wan, Mace Windu, and Yoda are discussing Anakin spying on Palpatine, they bring up the prophecy. And he says, Obi-Wan says, well, he is the chosen one. And I believe it's Yoda but it might have been Mace Windu, but a prophecy could have been misinterpreted. The prophecy could have been misinterpreted. So this plays off of, of that idea. 
that a chosen one who is balancing the force rises up every so often to take the place to balance the force in Mortis. And that the father was a long lost Jedi from 2,000 years ago, which is why the distress call that they receive is a Jedi code that's 2,000 years old, who came into Mortis to balance it and accepted the responsibility. Think about it, that's a, that is a selfless Jedi act we need you to come in here and balance this so that they don't escape and destroy the world and outbalance the scales. I will do it, of course. But then time passes differently. So he's, he's been there for 2,000 years, but has he really been there for 2,000 years? Has he been there for 2 million years? It's hard to tell from his time perspective because time passes, again, differently inside of Mortis than it does outside of Mortis. So that is... an interesting... it's a whole interesting concept, and it was George Lucas's idea. Mortis arc... The Mortis Arc was George Lucas's idea, but this was something he wanted in Star Wars. This is George's vision of Star Wars. In Legends, there is also a mother to them, which is interesting. So this is not canon, so this doesn't really count, but it's just interesting. The mother's name is Abeloth, and she absolutely gets out and starts uh, just absolutely murdering people. She is insane and is a monster and is really creepy, and they have to kill her. Jedi and Sith, because in Legends there's a whole other Sith cult that rises up, but uh, Luke and these the one Sith are fighting her at once, and they kill her, quote-unquote, but they can't kill her because she is a pure force being, and that's in Legends, so it's just interesting to note that Abeloth, or the mother, is in existence in Legends, but no canon. So that is, that is Mortis, the Mortis arc, and I'll touch on this a little bit more because the next thing I have to explain also links up to the father, the son, and the daughter. But now Liam's going to talk about the Bindu from Rebels. Right. So this is a good transition because, you know, with the Mortis arc, we talk about light versus the dark, right? The father is the balancing act between the daughter, the embodiment of the light, and the son, the embodiment of the dark. The transition here comes in with the Bendu, who again is supposed to be a balanced creature. So the Bendu is an interesting person because originally <laughs> I thought the Bendu was a force being, an immortal, right? But from reading up, he's just a force sensitive being. He's not pure force like the father, the son, the daughter. He is within the dimension, right? He's within the realm of the living force. He's not a cosmic force being, but um, he's very powerful with the force. Yes, yes, he is. It, that's, do not let that, you know, be it, I don't know, temperament of his powers. He's very powerful. So the Bendu is a force-sensitive creature who resided on the planet Adelon. Um, and, and like I said, he claimed to be the center of the force, so he... he lived between the light and the dark, and uh, used each of them. When we originally see the Bendu come to play, it's, and again, spoilers for Rebels, this is the part in Rebels after Kanan has lost his sight. So he's unable to see, and he's kind of trying to adjust with this new reality, and the Bendu creates a connection with Kanan by teaching him how to slow down and connect with the Force around him. Uh, which is which is really important. Sorry, to, no, because Kanan is he's depressed. Right, he's just depressed. Yeah, yeah, and, and I'll go into the background a little bit. I mean, you know, this is the point at which Kanan isn't ever given the role of Jedi Knight. Right, when we see him in now, what was the Bad Batch? 
at the very beginning, he's a Padawan. And so he never really becomes a Jedi Knight because Order 66 happens. So he's seen again in Rebels, not ever having achieved the status of Jedi Knight and not really ever having interacted with any Jedi since his master passed away during Order 66. Excuse me. Was murdered during Order 66. Passed away. <laughs> that seemed oh, way too she passive. She peacefully passed away in No, sleep. she was... No, she was attacked. Well, she was gunned down. By clones. <laughs> yep, that's tough. But, so Kanan, yeah, you're right. Kanan's in this depressed point already. And then Ezra comes along, and he and Ezra start to form this attachment. Yeah. Ezra is partially responsible, or at least Ezra blames himself, for Kanan losing his sight. During I mean, the episode. And, and yeah, it's his fault. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah. Um, and so you can watch more of Rebels if you want to get into the specifics of that. That isn't super relevant. But what we do see is this connection that Kanan forms with the Bendu, right? Call me old master. Yeah. yeah. So Kanan is wary of these creatures. Uh, the the Krikna, Krikna, I don't really remember how you pronounce it, but... Spider boys. Yeah. (laughs) Creepy spider boys. Um, That are repelled by these beacons. Yeah. For some signal or something like that. But But originally, right, he views them as violent predatory creatures. Like, you know, they would seem to be. But the Bendu helps him to realize that by calming down and reaching out with the Force, he actually got to a more calm place himself, and he realized that these... Um, Krakna, <laughs> or feeding off of his fear. Right. For, for those of you who are wondering what these are, if you've watched The Mandalorian, and there's that like the spider episode where yep. they're where they're in the hot tub, yep. and then they come after them. The, those things. Yeah, yeah. They're they're not exactly the most adorable, huggable creatures. More like the eat your ship. <laughs> yeah, type of creatures. But so that was when we first see the Bendu. Right. He he guides Kanan in this. Uh, this lesson of how to connect to the force, calm down, and then these spiders don't sense his fear anymore, and they kind of leave him alone. We then see Kanan talking to the Bendu about the hesitancy to Ezra using the dark side. There's a whole arc where they have Jedi, Sith, Holocron, they're trying to merge them, and Kanan is very wary of using anything dark side and... Um, the Bendu claims that Kanan shouldn't be worried about a Sith holocron turning Ezra to the dark side because an object in and of itself couldn't turn a person evil, he says. It's, it's a person that makes that decision for themselves. So he basically is guiding and saying, look, he's either going to turn or he's not going to turn. That's not a decision for you to make. That's within his own will this object is if if he's going to turn evil it's not this object that will make him do it it's already within him so we see this imbalance between ezra and kanan again with the bendu when uh ezra has to go into a cave without his lightsaber kanan has to follow him into the cave without his lightsaber and they have to survive on their own against the krikna right and so this is the point where Ezra and Kanan, the relationship has been a bit muddy because of 
Kanan losing his eyesight, and this is really a turning point for them. So the Bendu is shown as this guiding being who has wisdom, who teaches, who's basically kind of giving them lessons in the Force. But the Bendu is not just a being who is wise and passive and docile. The Bendu also has a violent side, right? And mm. so it's this it's where he's this balance between the light and the dark. So we see a lot of light side, we see a lot of teaching. At the Battle of Adalon, when we see Thrawn find the rebel forces on Adalon, which let me just preface the only thing that could save the rebels from Thrawn is a Deus Ex Machina. Right. <laughs> well, no, exactly. It, and fair enough. We see Kanan call the Bendu a coward because he's not going to get involved, right? The Bendu says, look, your fight, not my fight, deal with it. And then Kanan gets really upset, calls him a coward, and then the Bendu basically goes into this rage mode. And he's like, no, like that's not what, that's not what I'm doing. Name calling? How dare you? Right, well, and so, but, so then we see this point where the Bendu basically says, okay, well, maybe it's the will of the Force that the Jedi... And all of their kind are destroyed. Uh, and maybe I need to be the one to carry out that will. <laughs> and so that kind of shows us that it's not exactly... That's not exactly a light side tendency, right? Like, like, thanks for the conversation. I'll finish you off now. Yeah, exactly. And so... Tasty snack. The Bendu basically like becomes the sky. And you see these glowing eyes. And this storm appears. And all of a sudden lightning is hitting ships left and right and it's hitting cruisers from the Imperials. It's hitting A-wings from the Rebels. And it's this, this amalgamation of chaos and destruction. And the Rebels get the heck out. They just bolt. They're like, I, right, we're gone. They're not, I mean, that was their base and with the Bendu there, like that's gonna be tough to they're already getting bombarded from orbital bombardment from thrawn and, and thrawn's walking up with some atats right meanwhile i'd like to point out that the imperial strategy is shoot at the sky <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah so we get to this point where the bendu does destroy some rebel ships and then all the rebels leave and now he's just fighting all the imperials and they're trying to fight him they get him to a point where they actually seem to have him weak right they've shot him down and he's kind of on the ground and and Thrawn comes up and starts to talk to him. And we get this scene where Thrawn thinks he's kind of beaten the Bendu. And he looks very weak. He looks very tired. Right, Weezy, right, 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 right. Even. Um, you try turning yourself into a giant storm that takes out a star. <laughs> exactly, exactly. But so we see the Bendu laying on the ground and he's basically communicating with Thrawn. And he says to Thrawn, like, I know what will be your demise. He says, and I quote, you cannot see, but I can. And Thrawn says, what? What do you see? And the Bendu says, I see your defeat, like many arms surrounding you in a cold embrace. And I won't spoil the very end of Rebels, but I'll just leave you with that. And then as Thrawn goes to shoot the Bendu, he disappears, right? So he now... He laughs, right? He like right. laughs he, he disappears, and then he laughs, and you hear this laugh echoing, and the Bendu's gone. So this is where, again, you know, we, we see this Bendu as a very powerful being, and at that, we don't see him anymore. And so it's not really clear, is this the Bendu leaving the Living Force and going into the Cosmic Force? Is he just able to disappear 
We don't really know. So we leave with that. But the concept of the Bendu as a balanced being is really something that I want to dive into just a little bit more, right? So talked about him. He's a force sensitive creature, right? He, he carries this balance. He's very wise. He can, you know, he says to, he literally says to Thrawn, you cannot see, but I can and, and tells him his future. So he's very powerful in the force, possibly has the gift of prophecy, but the concept of the balanced being really reflects the gray Jedi, right? And so that's kind of what I wanted to go into a little bit was this idea of the gray Jedi. And I think it's important because Ahsoka becomes a gray Jedi, right? We see her in Rebels. She has white lightsabers. She's purified her crystals. And in The Mandalorian, Book of Boba Fett, again, she's this being who uses the Force, but she's not a Jedi. At the end of Clone Wars, we have seen her leave the Order. She gets kicked out and then is offered a chance to come back, but she thinks the Jedi have abandoned her, and she feels as though it's her path to go explore the Force on her own. So, the concept of the Grey Jedi. It's related to the Bendu, and so I wanted to explore it. The Grey Jedi are beings that are considered one of two things. Either a Jedi who is just not associated with the Jedi, who goes to dwell more on the Force, or literally a renegade Jedi. And so we get these two comparisons with Qui-Gon and with Ahsoka, because they're both thought of as forms of Grey Jedi. Qui-Gon is more thought of as a Grey Jedi in the way that he explores essentially both sides of the Force, right? He is a Jedi, he pursues Jedi beliefs, but he's also very into prophecies and the will of the Force and is willing to leave the Jedi Order to train Anakin because he believes it's the will of the Force. So he's not all light side focused necessarily. He's willing to dive into prophecies that sometimes might take a darker out and he's willing to train Anakin even though there are risks associated with it because he believes it's the will of the Force. Ahsoka is more of the renegade Jedi who actually does end up leaving the Order and pursues her own path, right? She goes out on her own to discover the will of the Force and to connect in a stronger way to it. So the Grey Jedi normally, when we see them, have white lightsabers. And just a little fact here for those who don't know, for the white lightsabers, these are often achieved by, and Ahsoka's are achieved by, taking bled crystals from Sith lightsabers. So Sith oftentimes will take Jedi's lightsabers and pour hate and malice into the crystals and it turns them red. They, they are living beings. The right, crystals the crystals. Are. So yes. they, like, they torture the crystal. Yeah, they basically torture it and they literally, quote unquote, bleed Please. it so that it turns red. Then the gray Jedi that we've seen with the white lightsabers take bled crystals and they purify them to now turn them back into white. So it's this process of imbuing, taking this blood crystal that's been broken and tortured and bringing some of the light back into it. So it creates this balanced white hue. So the gray Jedi, like I said, reflective of the Bendu. And I think it's important to talk about because of what we might see with the Ahsoka series coming up, right? Yeah. Bendu has a lot of wisdom, has a lot of good things about him, seems to be a good character, but is more than willing to use violence and whatever he deems necessary to achieve the will of the Force. And I think that's going to be interesting to see with Ahsoka, where 
she seems to have right even at the end of the clone wars we see her hey don't you know don't kill the clones don't they're attacking us but don't try not to hurt them right we don't want to do more damage than we need to light side mentality but how is that going to then translate into being a gray being and does that mean that she's going to allow attachments more we don't really see that in the mandalorian right in the mandalorian she's recommending to din that he doesn't form the attachment with grogu so it'll be interesting to see how they develop that but i think that there's a lot to explore and i think having an understanding of the bendu and how he sees the balance of the force will play a good role into ahsoka series that Dave Filoni is a part of. He was part of the Bendu, right? Mm-hmm. His Ahsoka is his project, so I'm sure it's going to have some reflection from that. But it's going to be interesting to see what they do with Ahsoka and how they tie aspects of the Bendu into Ahsoka. Neat little tidbit, putting it at the end. Maybe should have started with it, but that's okay. The Bendu is also supposed to be reflective of J.R.R. Tolkien's Tom Bombadil. And oh, so, yeah. <laughs> which is really cool, right? And and actually, this is one of the biggest complaints I have about the cinematic Lord of the Rings. But, I mean, fair enough. It would be a lot to add in to, you know, already 12 hours of movie. But Tom Bombadil, for those who don't know, in Lord of the Rings, was this character who basically was not entranced by the power of the ring. He kind of existed on a different mindset than everyone else, a different, you know, area where... He actually ends up putting on the ring in Lord of the Rings. He wears it, he puts it on, kind of looks at it, and hands it back to Frodo, and that's it. It's not it. And he's like, huh? And they're like, wait, but this whole, but everyone, literally everyone up, Galadriel, Gandalf, all these, all these powerful people are shown that if they get the ring and they they don't take it because they know that if they get it, they will be corrupted. And Tom Bombadil is basically on a different plane of understanding where he sees a different perspective from everyone yes. else, yeah. right? That's the whole thing. He has a different plane of understanding. The Bendu, I think, is very similar to that, right? We yeah. see where everyone else in the Star Wars universe is focused on Empire, Rebellion, Empire, Rebellion, Empire, Rebellion, or Republic, Separatist, Republic, Separatist, Republic, Separatist. And those factions are all tied so closely with the sides of the Force that are represented by them. But actually, and throwback to Jared's episode eight, mm-hmm. because this ties in really well with what Jared reflected in Luke. At the end of Jared's episode 8 that we rewrote, Luke tells Rey, look, there will always be an empire, there will always be a rebellion. There will always be good and evil. These forces will come and go. You're never going to get rid of it. But the force has a deeper understanding and a deeper will that we need to follow, right? And so I think that's a really good reflection of what the Bendu has and the Grey Jedi have is there are greater things that we need to deal with than political scuffles that's really toning down what a lot of you know star wars is to just call it political scuffles but but that's basically what it is right to the force right if you're looking and go back to the journal of the wills if you're looking at the journal of the wills 2000 foot view you see on a linear timeline all of these events that we see in star wars and the bendu has that outside perspective maybe maybe he is a will of himself who knows maybe maybe he's a will we don't know there's not really any you know there's no basis for that there's but but there's no basis for it to not be either Ooh. but we do see that he is able to pull himself back see that twenty thousand foot view and that 
makes sense why he gets so enraged when Kanan calls him a coward. Yeah. Because Kanan doesn't see. Kanan can't... Well, yikes. <laughs> My bad. You ableist. <laughs> That's tough. I forgot he was blind. Um, but, Kanan, <laughs> but Kanan can't see the future, and he doesn't see the perspective that the Bendu has, where the Bendu is understanding there is more to this galaxy and more to the Force than you know. And you're in the living force, and you might be powerful with the living force, but in the perspective of the cosmic force, there are so many things that you don't understand. And that is very similar to Tom Bombadil, and I think yeah. reflects a lot of what the Grey Jedi stand for. So I, those are some really cool things that are weaving together, and I, I hope that at this point we haven't confused you. I hope that you're starting to see how these things flow together, where... Like Jared said, there's the living force and there's the cosmic force. And how do they intertwine together? It's very complicated. Originally, Qui-Gon can't manifest in physical form, right? Because of those complications. And spoiler alert for the Kenobi series. But we do see him manifest there. So it'll be interesting to see what they do with that and how they explain that. But really good exercise to dive into the differences between the two. And then talk about their relationships to each other. And I think with all of that said, if you're not confused yet, <laughs> we're going to talk about the world between worlds. <laughs> oh boy, here yeah. I come. So the world between worlds also takes place in Rebels. This, has, this is not just a Rebels spoiler. It is the Rebels spoiler in a way. It's like the end-ish of Rebels. So there's a lot into this. So please don't listen to this section if you do want to enjoy Rebel Season 4 without any spoilers but you've been warned you have there is a gate on lothal which lothal is ezra's home planet and it's this temple and this is why the empire is so interested in it the emperor wants lothal what's going on it's connected to the force boom there's this giant gate there and on this doorway you have the father the daughter and the son intriguing hmm. um like I said, the Emperor's super interested in this, and so he has people dedicated here to try to figure out how to open this gate. Now, it is, to me, unclear whether the Emperor knows exactly what it is, or if he suspects what it is, or if he has no idea what it is. I think he thought he knew what it was. But Ezra finds a way to open the gate, and he goes inside, led there by these loath wolves who are kind of an embodiment of Caleb Doom, Doom, excuse me, Caleb Doom, which is, that is his master who has now passed on, or passed away, as Liam says, when people get murdered. <laughs> um, but he, there's kind of this weird thing where he is speaking to him through the Lothwolves and leading Ezra along to this gate to get in here to find the answers that he's looking for. So Ezra opens the gate falls through it, just kind of like, it, 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 it's kind of like a portal, right? He just goes into the wall. Um, when he does, he comes into this weird area that is, it's, it looks like space, but not, because there's actually these floating white specks. Uh, they're not stars. We call, oh, I was just about to say, we call those stars. <laughs> Dang it. Gotcha. Um, so they're kind of floating around, and there's this pathway that goes on, and it winds, and it goes up and left and right and all over the place. And so it kind of gives this illusion of time as it passes on and passes through. Now, Dave Filoni has said that this is not time travel. Let me be very clear. This is not time travel. 
this place exists in a land absent from time. So all of time is visible, but it is not time travel. One of the best ways to describe this is the cosmic force. No! Oh, it's the cosmic force. It's outside of time. It's outside of space. It's outside of matter is really what it looks like. Um, there is a physical walkway that he's walking on. But Dave Filoni said the reason Ezra sees what he sees, which I'm about to get to, in The World Between Worlds is because that was what he needed to see or wanted to see. So for him, it looked kind of like time travel, but for another person, if they were to go in there, it may not look like time travel. It may be something completely different. Say maybe, I don't know, Cinnabon. Mortis. Oh, that's what I want to see. Cinnabon. <laughs> Cinnabon. Yeah. Like Mortis. So this is where the confusion is in people. Is this what's left of Mortis? Did Mortis disappear because the father dies and they leave? Um, did it all fall apart and is it just absent space now? Um, it kind of looks that way. But when Ezra gets in there, he sees this winding pathway and there's these little doorways along the way. And he looks through them and there are events that have happened in the past. And we hear voices from like Alec Guinness, his Obi-Wan. So we hear voices from the future. And what's interesting is they tie this into Yoda's quote where he says, always in motion, the future is. Right? Like, it's always happening. The future is always happening. And in this place, you can see it unfolding all at once. And there's a weird thing where Yoda's kind of linked up in, in Lothal as well, where there's this Jedi temple, and Yoda's able to cast himself into this Jedi temple when they talk. But it's, un, it's unclear whether or not he knows this place exists or not. It's on the same planet. Well, and, I mean, Yoda is on Dagobah, which is a haven of the Force. It's very right. powerful Correct. in the Force, right? So Yoda could be talking to or reaching out in the force to someone who doesn't necessarily know exactly where he is right think of when grogu goes to tython we see that he is on this altar thing right and he reaches out with a force to any jedi so i i, I kind of think of it like yoda's reaching out from dagobah this force haven and spiritually mentally through the force connects with ezra that way yeah i do think the one thing about that is that the problem is, is it signals everybody. You can't just like... True. You, this is more specific. Yeah. So it, this this was like a more specific thing. Um, when Ezra opens the door, I should mention, he's, it, the, the daughter says the words, we are the ones who guard the power. We are the beginning, the middle, and the end, which is very interesting. So what Ezra sees as he's walking along, he sees Caleb, and he sees him about to die, and he doesn't save Caleb. He does not try to reach in and save him. He cries out to him, but were he to have pulled him out, right? This is Dave confirmed, Filoni, Dave Filoni confirmed. Were he to have pulled him out, it would have created a paradox. It would have created a paradox in which if Caleb hadn't done what he did, the explosion would have killed Ezra, and therefore Ezra would not have been able to pull Caleb out. You know, so it creates a paradox. So that can't happen. But he sees Ahsoka fighting Darth Vader, which happens previously in the series. Great scene. And Darth Vader is about to kill Ahsoka. And it is so close that he just cannot stop himself from reaching in. And he grabs Ahsoka and pulls her into the portal. When he does this, this does change time. But 
Ahsoka and him have a conversation about what's going on. What is this place? Ahsoka is wise enough to know that she must exit through the gate which she was taken from. She can't, so she wouldn't be able to like go directly to him. So when she leaves the portal, she picks up not right where she was taken, but if you will take the time for which they are in the actual world between worlds, which is probably a couple minutes, when she leaves, that's like she leaves a couple minutes later from when she was taken and picks up from there. And he tells Ahsoka to come and find him, which is very crucial for the Ahsoka series. At the end of Rebels, she shows up with Sabine, and she's like, we're going to go find him, right? That's the She doesn't say that, but that's the Im, Im, implied thing, right? right? Sabine's talking. She's talking about going to find him. And so then we have where's Grand Admiral Thrawn and all this. This all ties into the ending of Rebels. Because he's there, where Thrawn is, Ezra will be. That's the catch is it's not you have to go back through the gate in which you came so you could time travel theoretically but you still have to spend the same amount of time in there and you have to leave through the same gate so you don't ever get to like jump time really you could be absent from time for a certain period of time but you have to go back in from where you came from so to clarify i'll play you know devil's advocate what you're saying is ahsoka is about to be killed by vader is pulled through the portal, and then time continues in reality right. from that time that she gets pulled. Correct. Right? Vader doesn't come through. The gate gets shut or whatever. Like, it, it basically pauses, right? right? Closes temporarily, and time goes on in the real world. And Ezra and Ahsoka are in the place where time doesn't exist. They let time pass. Right essentially well and then the gate reopens they go through it and right because we pick you, up where they leave off you are bound to the time from which you came from so you have to go back out whichever door you came in for ezra he had to go back out the main entrance and that or the main entrance if you will was the gate he went through which was the actual entrance to the place right. but while he's in there time does pass for other yes. people and so there is this perception of time while you are in there but there's no time in there. <laughs> right. So the other side of this is that the Emperor's informed that Ezra makes it through. And this is where things get a little weird. The Emperor's informed that Ezra makes it through the gate like he wanted to. And he is able to, through Sith magic, see in Sith sorcery. It looks a lot like the Witches of Dathomir's like, sorcery they use. In the Clone Wars, he and Count Dooku use this to kind of... I think plague Yoda in that episode and yep. like go, you know, mask themselves and, and do Sithy things, if you will. Very Sithy, Sithy things. Exactly. And he is able to reach into the portal through this Sith magic. So this way I think he knows kind of what it is. But again, Dave said that you see what you want to see. So what does the Emperor see in it? Does he see time travel? Again, it doesn't really help him because he can't, he could save potentially people, but they have to go right back to the time frame. He can't bring them forward. It's so, it's unclear what he necessarily wants to use it for. But that being said, he is able to force lightning through the portal and he almost gets them. Yeah. And that's what, so Ahsoka goes through her door, he makes it back and goes through his. Um, this whole thing is very interesting because no one likes, I didn't say no one likes, but 
time travel is a very touchy thing to put in any series. And it really changes, like, well, why didn't they just travel back in time and fix it? I mean, look at the Marvel series, right? It, it's kind of, when you start getting time travel, it's like, well, why don't they just go back and fix this? Well, why don't they do this? Well, why don't they do this? Questions you have to answer, right? Why mm -hmm. wouldn't they just fix things? Um, which is why I think Dave Filoni was very clear that this is not time travel. It's not time travel. And Ezra then destroys the gate. He destroys the gate so that it can't be done. The Emperor tries later by having Thrawn kind of like reconstruct some of the gateway to use it, but he decides not to. It destroys that as well. So he almost they, does. He almost does use it because he shows him his parents. was like, well, what if you go back there, right? But again, he could pull them out, but they would go back to where they were, which would change his entire life, which would mean that he would never get involved, right? So I think maybe Palpatine does know this, and he's like, well, if your parents are never involved, then you never destroy the gate, and I get the gate, because you be never become a Jedi. Um, but again, what does Palpatine want from it? Does he want time travel? Does he want infinite power, right? He's always after more power, but is it that? Is it, I don't know what he sees in there. Um, Cinnabon. Cinnabon, of course. There's a Cinnabon, of course, on. Probably. At least one. Not on Lothal, though. Not on Lothal. That's why I've never been. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. So this is, this kind of wraps up that arc. I know it's, it's still a mystery, right? And we're explaining some of the mystery. We gave you, you know, what we had. But I want to, I want to end with this. It's magical. If everything in the universe was explained, it would not be as interesting, right? We can sit here and speculate, like, oh, it could be this or it could be this. Like, we don't really know. That's really exciting. And to me, that is exciting. And when you take away any of these options, you start losing the magic of it. If everything's explained, there's nothing to explore. Yeah. And so Dave, in particular has done a good job of trying to put in new content, because you have to give new content if you want people to continue to enjoy your your content, your series. But while trying to explain some things, but leave some things to the imagination and leave the mystery there. If the Force was completely explained, Star Wars would lose a lot of its magic. Star Wars would lose a lot of its magic. Yeah. And so these are mysteries of the Force. And they will remain somewhat mysteries of the Force. And they will remain topics of discussion, right? Yes. This is years after some of this content is coming out. And we have some new information, right? We have some new things. But like Jared said, a lot of the appeal is we don't have necessarily a final answer. And so we can go back and even re-watching through the Clone Wars, re-watching through Rebels, we're still trying to comprehend what's happening. And so the Mortis arc is still somewhat a mystery to us. Bendu is still somewhat a mystery to us. We don't know who's a will. We don't know if the wills are just within the living or just within the cosmic force, right? There are lots of things that are still undefined, and that's why it's still fun to talk about them. Absolutely. So I really hope you enjoyed this week's episode. Liam and I will be back next week with another episode. We know that this was not actually episode nine. Um, Liam had very, um, what's the word here? Mm. zealously said that this was going to be the day he released episode 9 or we released episode 9 I don't know why I put you just salty on the spot there <laughs> just, just, just throw you. me under the entire bus yeah but 
Um, I agree with Liam on this. It, it, he's made a lot of progress on it, but we want to make sure that the quality is there more than the timing. Right. Um, it would have been really nice to have it two weeks apart, all of them, yep. but you know, it's more important that it's done right yep. than anything else. So we will get that to you in the near future. It is coming. It'll be here before Andor. Yeah, and well, <laughs> there you go, making another bold claim. But the most important part is that mine will be done in a time frame with much less time than your episode eight was. Correct. But I never promised them a time yeah, frame that's for the true. episode that's eight. True. Yeah. So, yeah, so I'm, I'm having fun with that. Uh, I'll continue to, to write on it and uh, get a story. But until then, you can find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Anchor, Amazon Music, Audible. Audible, and now you can find us on Google Podcasts. Correct. And Castbox, I think. Yeah. Castbox. Yeah. Yeah. So slowly every week adding another platform to our repertoire. So if you're coming in from a new platform, welcome. Thanks for joining us. If we haven't said enough, go back, listen to some of the other podcasts that we've recorded. We cross reference between our podcast episodes. So hopefully we and I think we try to do a good job at this, explain the topic that we're on yeah. within each episode. But thank you for listening. Hope you enjoyed. If you like the podcast, please give us a like on whatever platform you're listening on. It helps us out, and it helps the podcast out. Yeah. Thanks, everyone.